Well, hello there, friends. Hi, Rhonda. And enemies. And friends. And... And enemies. And people we're neutral friends. about. Kind of. Romans. Countrymen. Countrymen. People we don't have an opinion about. Um, yeah. There's probably a lot of those. Yeah. Hello. Hi. Welcome back. Or welcome, if this is your first time. Or welcome. Welcome. All are welcome. Um, how do we, we, we've been doing this, okay, Aaron, we've been doing this for three years, and we still have no idea how to, how to start this. Okay. Well, how to I, start, I can't even how say, to, how to end, we're just. I can't, I can't even say the word this. <laughs> oh my gosh. Well. I have grad school brain. That's what I'll blame it on. Um, nice. What do I blame it on? Uh, you teach preschoolers, so. Hey, there we go. <laughs> there we go. Uh, yeah. Well, well now welcome. that it's sufficiently awkward. Um, hello. Yeah. We are talking about uh, one of our favorites today. Yes, we are. Um, we are Pop DNA, by the way. I'm Rhonda. Yeah. I'm Hi. Hello. Hello. Um, <laughs> we were talking about A Wrinkle in Time. Um, I guess the movie, the 2018 movie and the book, mm -hmm. I think we're going to kind of weave in and out of talking about both of those things. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Uh, so what do, what do we do? What do we do? <laughs> well, I mean, I guess for What's, those... What is, what the heck is a wrinkle in time? What on earth is that? So um, we have a brief synopsis in case you've never seen it. It is kind of a niche market. Um, or in case you just forgot, you know, yeah. like you read it in third grade and you mm -hmm. haven't looked at it since. Yeah. So but, yeah. according to Sparknotes, and I agree, <laughs> a wrinkle in time is the story of Meg Murray, a high school aged girl who is transported on an adventure through space and time um, with her younger brother, Charles Wallace, who is something of a genius for his young age, and her friend, Calvin, to rescue her father, who is a gifted scientist and who has been transported away from them as he discovers kind of the presence in the universe of something called a tesseract. Ooh. And he gets held as a prisoner on another planet um, because of this discovery kind of thing. And uh, and Meg and Charles Wallace and Calvin are aided in their journey by three enigmatic, possibly supernatural beings. Yeah. It, it's, that's never fully clear. Yeah. Um, that we like to call the Mrs. Uh, Mrs. Who, Mrs. Watsit, and Mrs. Witch. And yeah, it's very, it's, it's, uh, it was very formative to my childhood, I have to say. Me too. Um, yeah. Uh, so, <laughs> so the author of A Wrinkle in Time is, of course, Madeline Langle. I don't know. I still don't know how to pronounce her name. Is it Langle? Langle? There's yeah. an apostrophe in there. Yeah. Uh, not sure. Uh, but it was published in 1962. It's uh, it's the same age as my dad. 
<laughs> it won the Newbery Medal Ooh. for children's literature. It won the Sequoia Book Award, the Lewis Carroll Shelf Award, and it was a runner-up for the Hans Christian Andersen Award. So even yeah. at the time that it came out, it was recognized as an important work. And yeah. now it's a classic. So it's also, as I look at the fact that it's from 62, that is evident. In yes, it's of- definitely, <laughs> yes, definitely Cold War, yeah. uh, nuclear, mm-hmm. uh, nuclear scare, scares, mm-hmm. that whole thing. They're, it's, yeah. It's also, they're worried would, about nuclear bombs yeah. a lot. I would also argue that it's a little bit trippy. Like, it's a little bit, like, the magic in it is a little bit, like... Yeah, is it magic or is it science? That's... We don't know. We'll (laughs) we'll discuss that later. Um, Yeah. Yes. Uh, But but it does involve space and time Mm -hmm. in really interesting and, at the time, kind of groundbreaking ways. Yeah. It was the first book of Langle's time quintet uh have you read the rest of these books Erin? i haven't i only read the you one. haven't i know uh you it's, should yeah it's kind of funny to be a super fan of the first book and to have never made it to the other yeah. two well you know lots of people have only read the lion the witch and the wardrobe and Valid. didn't read the rest mm-hmm. of mm-hmm. chronicles of narnia i totally get that too um yeah, yeah. i would say a wind in the door which came out in 1973, but yeah. A Wind in the Door is like, I would say like a direct sequel to A Wrinkle in Time. So okay. I'd recommend at least reading that one, okay. even if you don't read any of the others. Um, and then A Swiftly Tilting Planet was in 1978. And that one is probably my favorite out of the whole series, to be honest. Yeah. It's about um so it's ten years after a wrinkle in time. So Charles Wallace is like fifteen or sixteen and it's mm-hmm. about him. Um and he goes on he he like he quantum leaps. <laughs> this was before the show Quantum Leap, but that's basically <laughs> what he does. He quantum leaps into the past oh, into wow. like other uh, you know like people in the past. Um Ooh. It's very yes. I read I read it every Thanksgiving because it takes place on Thanksgiving. <laughs> nice, nice. Uh, yeah, and then uh, Many Waters from 1986, which was about Sandy and Dennis, the twin brothers, who are not in the 2018 movie. Um, yeah, and then yeah, and then An Acceptable Time from 1989 which is about Meg and Calvin's oldest daughter, Polly. Okay. So, yeah. And it kind of has, An Acceptable Time has, like, threads and connections to all of the other books, too. Because you, like, see things kind of referenced and brought up again. So. Very cool. Yes. That is, that is the deal on the time quintet. Yeah. There were also... Yeah, let's talk about the movies. <laughs> there were also two movies, the 2003, um, which at the time when I saw it on TV, I remember looking at seeing it advertised and thinking, someone else knows about this book that I'm obsessed with. Yeah. <laughs> oh my goodness. <laughs> and so at the time, I thought it was the best movie I'd ever seen. 
not yes i loved it too not the, yeah. maybe not the case uh it was produced <laughs> it was it was a joint it was production. made for tv mm-hmm. which like at the time like a movie that was made for tv like you could expect like super low budget and like not yeah. great production quality like, and that was <laughs> it was a joint too between canada and the united states they came together to make wrinkle in time um and well, how diplomatic of them. I, I know. And I love the quote that you found um, <laughs> here when Langle was um, reviewing the film. Mm-hmm. And how she says that um, she was asked if it was met, it had met her expectations. And she said, I have glimpsed it. I expected it to be bad. And it is. That's delightful. Because she said, I have glimpsed it. Like, she couldn't bring herself to actually watch it. So I just imagine her, like, sitting in front of a TV, like, going like this. Like, covering her eyes and peeking through to, like, glimpse this movie that, you know, is attempting to represent her masterpiece. Um. The next time I grade anything for my students, I want to say, I have glimpsed it. I have glimpsed it. (laughs) And... Although it does have um, uh, Alf- it does have Alfre Woodard in it. Alfre Woodard, yes, phenomenal, and a very um, a very young Gregory Smith, who <laughs> seems to have disappeared off the face of the earth. Quite honestly, yeah. Like what happened to that kid? Maybe it was um, a tesseract. We don't know. Maybe, <laughs> or maybe he just decided to be a normal adult and not be an actor. <laughs> that could yeah. be possible too. Yeah. <laughs> Some might even call that a good choice. Uh, mm. <laughs> do you want to tell us about 2018? Yes. Let's talk about the 2018 movie because that's, I'm sure, what most uh, most modern uh, viewers are going to be familiar with. So the 2018 film was directed by Ava DuVernay with... A script by Jennifer Lee and Jeff Stockwell. Jennifer Lee was, of course, involved with Frozen. I believe she directed and, right? Yes, she directed Frozen. Yes. And maybe wrote the screenplay for Frozen as well? Possibly? Yeah. Don't quote me on that. I I, I could look (laughs) it up, but okay. Um, (laughs) And this version starred Oprah Winfrey, Reese Witherspoon, Mindy Kaling, Chris Pine, Gugu Umbatara, Storm Reed, Michael Pena, and Zach Galifianakis. And I always forget, every time, I always forget that Zach Galifianakis is in this movie. And then oh, I yeah. watch it again. I'm like, what? The guy from The Hangover? What are you doing in this movie for children? How, how are um, you the happy medium? But okay. Oh, how, how is that? Yeah, interesting. Um and that's really the only casting choice that I find questionable. Yeah. All the others, all the others, home run. Oh, yeah. But Zach Galifianakis, why? <laughs> oh, no. Aaron left. I hope she comes back. Um, <laughs> anyway, this. Perfect. So you got cut off a little bit there. I did. But we're back. Uh, <laughs> don't worry, everyone. We are back. Uh, it's proof so, Zach Galifianakis runs Zoom. He wasn't happy we were talking. Um, also, you're sideways right now. I don't know if that will come across in the okay. final video. I don't okay. think it will, but okay. just... <laughs> anyway, so we were talking... Cool. Yes. 
So, the 2018 movie. Yes. <laughs> that bafflingly cast Zach Galifianakis. Um, <laughs> uh, but fun fact about this movie, this was the first $100 million budget live action film to be directed by a black woman. So, all right. Yeah. Go. Go yeah, Disney. yeah, yeah. Uh, not go Disney. Disney doesn't need our support. Um, no. <laughs> but <laughs> go even to Renee. Yes. Uh, yeah. So, do you want to tell me about your first experience with a Wrinkle in Time? Yes. Or just so just your whole life story as relates to a Wrinkle in Time. It all started on a stormy night in Santa Monica. Um, was it a dark and stormy night? It was. And <laughs> it felt like that Miss What's It quote where she talks about how wild nights are her glory. Um, mm -hmm. My grandmother gave me a copy of this very um, novel. And I think I was in third grade. And I remember I w it was the first time a world of a story had really like enveloped me in its arms. And I was just so into it. You know, um, I think other things I had read at the time were like Charlotte's Web and like, just not maybe as exciting. And then um, A Wrinkle in Time kind of opened the door, if you will, to my love of science fiction and fantasy and um world building and i think from maybe the first chapter because the first chapter is really magical right the first chapter mm -hmm. you meet charles wallace and then he kind of knows something's happening and there's a storm and then mrs what's it um comes in and she's very charming and she's um she's in all of the um the sheets trying to find like a sheet or something um and I was just so taken by her it was my first character who'd ever been like whimsical too um so from that first chapter I was in it what about you uh yeah I think I I first picked it up um when I was in I think fourth grade and it was in my, my teacher had a classroom library as, you know, as, as elementary teachers often do. And I was looking for something to read that was like, I think I'd like just read Chronicles of Narnia. And uh -huh. so I was looking for something to read that would give me that same kind of like experience. And I picked up A Wrinkle in Time from the classroom library. And I read it. Like, I'd never, yeah. <laughs> like, no adult, like, handed it to me and said, oh, you should read this book. I just, like, picked it up and read it. Um, and, yeah, it was, uh, as I've said before, it was formative to my childhood. I think this was the first... Um, the first time I saw a a girl as the protagonist who was um, who was very smart, very intelligent, but also felt very uncomfortable in her own skin, and I think just captured that perfect uh, that 
perfect like balance um, that that you're going through when you're like 10, 11, 12 years old and you yeah. feel like all these changes happening like in your body and in your mind and in how you perceive the world. And yeah, yeah. it was just I I hardcore identified with Meg, even though I hated math. I was like, Meg, you can have the math. I'll uh-huh. take the social studies. Perfect. Um, yeah. And uh yeah i guess that's that's my story yeah (laughs) i like it a lot um and of course then i read i think like right away after i finished it i was like oh is there are there more books are there Uh are there more and so right away i read a wind in the door and then i don't think that i read a swiftly tilting planet until maybe a couple years later um but then it you know became my favorite um which is interesting yeah yeah well uh we have some other some other forms of of media that have adapted Mm -hmm. a wrinkle in time here what do you what do you know about the wrinkle in time opera (laughs) so um it's very hard i think I don't know if there's like a studio recording of it even because um, it was just listed on like a composer's website. So it's not even mm. maybe mass produced, but it's a one act seven scene opera um, that explores the world of the of Wrinkle in Time through opera. And I... I just, I couldn't find, I spent maybe like an hour trying to research it and there's not a whole lot. Libby Larson um, wrote it and kind of adapted it, um, but there's not a whole lot on it, but I was just fascinated. And I think opera is a very meta thing, not Facebook meta, yeah. but meta meta. And I think it could actually work really well as an opera, whereas some adaptations I'm like, God, no, like the fact that they're making Silver Linings Playbook the musical makes me want to, like, never um, see that. But <laughs> I think that an opera that explores A Wrinkle in Time could explore kind of the worlds that they um, go into and maybe, like, 2D, 3D, 4D, 5D, all of those things could have, like, a different musical thing I don't know what they did with it but I'm really excited to have music explore those dimensions um so I got real excited yeah and then interesting (laughs) and then swiftly found out that there's not much about it so Uh um but I was excited about it because I think I think opera and ballet are at their most interesting when they're exploratory and kind of not like concrete when they're very meta I think it works better um Mm -hmm. so I I was excited Uh uh-huh uh-huh and then there's also I also found that there's a comic book um which also makes all the sense to me in the world I think this makes sense as a comic book Um, absolutely because a lot of I will have to check that out actually yeah put that on my list I feel like there's a lot of things in here that are so um 
especially to an elementary school mind that like it introduces a lot about the world, right? It, it introduces mm-hmm. a lot about like science and quantum physics and math and all of right. those things. So using that to also introduce the world of comic books um, or the mm. world of opera to children, I think is a really cool thing and I'm here for it. Yeah. All right. Well, that has just gone into my Amazon cart. Yay! Time graphic novel. Um, yeah. So, uh, those are interesting, interesting ways of like adapting this story. Um, which, like, I think the graphic novel. I think you're right. I think the graphic novel makes perfect sense. Like, yeah. it's such a it's such a like it's such an imagery rich story mm-hmm. it makes sense to put it into a graphic novel yeah. um the opera i'm very curious about because right like how how <laughs> and that's how does thing. that work <laughs> i as i was speaking about it I caught myself, I already have very high expectations and I already want them to be like exploring dimension and the different dimensions have different Uh musical cues and whatever. (laughs) And so it could not be that. I don't know. (laughs) Yeah. Very Um, easily just be awful. I don't know. uh, Yeah. But I think it's like, it's interesting to like, think about a story like told through a different medium or told through a different perspective from the one that we're familiar with. Um, right. Right. I think that's like what a good adaptation does is it like, it can take that original, you know, the perspective that is present in the original work, but then expand upon that and give us a different perspective on, yeah. on the story and on the characters. Um, even if it still includes that original perspective, um, which I think is what a good adaptation does. Yeah. Um, yeah, I wanted to, so we had planned in this first part, um, I had wanted to talk about religion because <laughs> yeah. I love talking about religion kind of sarcastically, but kind of not. I, I, well, um, yeah, but <laughs> yeah. And in this piece, it's like, it's like the, at the forefront, you know? Right. Yeah. And I think it's interesting. Like one, like the one thing that I kind of wish that the 2018 movie had done, they wouldn't have had to make it like, so like overt or explicit as it is in the novel, but I do wish that it had kept somewhat of the religious or the spiritual undertones of the book. And like, I understand why they didn't, but I still think that it could have been done in a way that wouldn't have alienated people who are not of this religion. Yeah. I think, I think they could have found a way to do it. Um, I agree, especially because I think of this piece as, like, a child's exploration of science and of religion and of the world around them. And both pieces are so important to it and Mm -hmm. to, like, the journey that leaving it out isn't, 
isn't fully telling the story, you know? Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that, like, Langle herself would, like, she's been kind of quoted and and noted as saying that, like, she didn't understand this dichotomy in our culture between religion and science. Like, why do you, why do you have to choose one over the other? Like, that was something that she was, she was very vocal about, um, about exploring and about expressing. Um, she, uh, just a little background about Madeline Langle, if we want (laughs) to get into that. Um, she considered herself a devout Christian. She never, I don't think that she ever, like, identified with a certain, like, denomination she attended an anglican church for most of her life um but she wouldn't have said that like she's a certain brand of christianity um and she i what i think is like really interesting is that uh (laughs) so like a lot of like more conservative christians didn't like a wrinkle in time because they said that it was like promoting witchcraft or the occult but then you also had like you know, on the more secular side, people objecting to, like, the overt Christian themes in the book. So it's, like, too religious, not religious enough. Pick a lane. Pick a lane. Um, Right. (laughs) Really interesting. Um, (laughs) There's a, a quote from her journal where she said, if I've ever written a book that says what I feel about God and the universe, this is it. This is my psalm of praise to life, my stand for life against death. Wow. And she also she also wrote that publishers had trouble. It's so like the the story of how A Wrinkle in Time finally got published, it took years and like sev- like 30, 40, 50 plus rejections before it was finally published. Um, and yeah. she said of that process that um, publishers had a hard time with A Wrinkle in Time. Um, she says, because it deals overtly with the problem of evil. And uh, the publishers, at least, said that it was too difficult for children. Um, they would ask, is it a children's or an adult's book? Anyhow, um, <laughs> it's both. Um, I think she also, <laughs> I think she also has... Um, I don't have the quote in front of me, but I think she was also quoted as saying something to the effect of like it, for for something to be good enough for children, it needs to be good enough for adults. I'm like, yes, yes absolutely. Um, uh, a How are we going to get these kids to read if they don't love it anyway? So. Right. Yeah. Um, uh, uh, let's see. A relative. Is this a relative of hers or was it a critic? I don't remember. I just have the quote. Anyway, <laughs> so there's a quote about her that says she preferred scientific metaphors and scientists to theologians because she understood that science is more open to revelation than religion. Um, and religion divides us into teams, which I think that's such an interesting thought, too. That, right. like, religion, which so many religions ostensibly are built on revelations, and yet they're... Yeah often closed off to them. Whereas in science, it's a very open-ended process and you're constantly making new discoveries. Um, and it's just interesting. 
It's almost like the process of getting this published and the process of giving this work to people proved her point about the need for putting people in teams. Like, you're right. proving what she's talking about, you guys. Yeah. <laughs> um, she also wrote that it was kind of a wrinkle in time is kind of her rebuttal to some German theology that she had read um, who like, she complained that like these German theologians were like too rigid in their answers to like these big spiritual questions. Um, She says it was also my affirmation of a universe in which I could take note of all the evil and unfairness and horror and yet believe in a loving creator. So just kind of, the idea of like not having to have an answer for everything and being able to be open and hold space for things that we don't understand and can't explain, um, which I think is also huge in a wrinkle in time. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Um, And then another thing that like conservative Christians at the time objected to about a wrinkle in time um, was what like, the idea of like spiritual relativism because uh, the book names Jesus alongside uh, like people like Shakespeare and Buddha and like famous scientists and artists. And they're like, uh, uh, yeah. Um, (laughs) uh, and then going back to that idea of like, of like this like false dichotomy and like picking a side or picking a lane. Um, We see conformity as one of the big themes in a wrinkle in time, Uh, not just on, not just on Kamazots, but also like how Meg feels like she has to try to conform to the world that she's in or like her rejection of conformity going to extremes in some ways. And everyone um, thinks Charles Wallace is like the weirdest weirdo when he does mm-hmm. not um, listen to any of these like social norms or conformity kind of things. Right. Um, so, <laughs> so uh, this article that I, um, that I found about uh, the religion and faith of Madeline Lingle also notes that conservative Christians um were not only confused by the book, um, but they also proved its point by forcing conformity to a certain way of thinking. So, like, goes right over the heads there. <laughs> right. Um, this article is in the Washington Post, I should note, and we will uh, provide a link so everyone can check it out. Um, but uh, this kind of concludes, so this article was published, like, right before the movie came out in 2018 so it kind of concludes with like um uh, you know asking like would she have liked this adaptation of her book um she didn't like the 2003 one but (laughs) but would she have liked this one um and I don't know um and so this this article interviewed her granddaughter who saw a an early version of the 2018 movie and said that it gave her the same feelings of inspiration and optimism as the book. Um, another yeah. Lingle expert believes that Lingle would have loved the reinterpretation that made the main character, Meg Murray, a black girl from an interracial marriage. For its time, Lingle's book was groundbreaking by portraying 
Meg Murray's mother as a well-educated scientist with doctoral degrees and who, who worked, um, yeah, you know, a middle, uh, uh, I think, I think their family is kind of portrayed as kind of upper middle class, um, which when that was the case back then, the, the mother usually would not have a job. So right, right. that's kind of groundbreaking in its own way. Um, yeah, so that's uh, a whole bunch of, of thoughts that I didn't really organize, um, but the <laughs> do with that no. what you will. <laughs> No, uh, I, yeah. <laughs> I, um, yeah, I just really think Langle is like the coolest. She's one of my like tip top, I don't know, um, superheroes. I just think she's so mm-hmm. neat. And she, it's interesting to see her kind of do to the world what the misses. Um, what the Mrs. W's do for the Calvin's kids is she kind of opens it up that there are other things going on and there are other universes Mm -hmm. out there. Um, She does that for thought processes and she does that for thinking about like, like you said, just because you're religious, you don't have to say, Oh, science isn't a thing. Like they can, everything can work together on this earth. Um, And maybe it's supposed to. So I just, um, (laughs) I just, I love her a whole lot. Yeah. Yeah, she's really neat. Um, (laughs) So, I did, this was another topic that we weren't sure where to put it. Um, So, we'll just stick it on the end here. Um, I just, I wanted to talk about Mrs. Who and how, like, she speaks in quotations. Um, Because you and I do that sometimes. (laughs) All the time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, which I think is great. Um, and I think that that, like, Mrs. Who, always speaking in quotations, kind of plays into that theme of, like, conformity versus, um, you know, being being open-minded and and holding space for things that you can't always quantify or understand. Um, yeah, because in a way that's in a way that's kind of why Mrs. Who speaks in quotations is because she can't like verbalize as in like she can't take the thought that she's having and make it concrete, yeah. uh, you know, into 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 words. Yeah. And so she just uses other words <laughs> that kind of get to the to the heart of what she's trying to say well it's interesting too because it's something that we see children do as they play with language they will mimic sometimes they'll mimic what someone else has said instead of um finding other words to use because they're playing with language and because they're playing with words and words are fun and they heard someone say something and so now they're repeating it to you um and i think that's another really interesting thing about mrs who in a story where we're talking about childhood intelligence and how how children express themselves um something i love about kids is that they'll like 
give you a phrase from a book or a phrase from a song and it'll perfectly encapsulate what they're trying to say. Um, They're like little Mrs. Who's. I love it. Uh (laughs) And I think it's also a great way to like kind of a sneaky way for for the author to like sneak in references to like things that she's inspired by. So like I think of like the um in the book, I don't think she she I don't think she does this in the movie, but in the book she quotes The Tempest right before Meg goes to find her father inside of the like clear column thing where he's yeah. like and she quotes the part in The Tempest that's like here I have the book in front of me make it I can find it. Um he's trapped in a in a what is the what is the phrase he's trapped in a oh here um for that he was a spirit too delicate to act their earthly and abhorred commands refusing their grand hest they did confine him by help of their most potent ministers and in their most unmitigable (laughs) it's a fun fun word unmitigable rage into a cloven pine within which rift imprisoned he didst painfully remain um so I, I, I love that reference to the Tempest, not only because it like kind of literally describes what is going to happen later on in the book, but I, I also just love the idea of, of referencing the Tempest as like uh, another work that has this kind of mystery or this kind of like shady line in between magic and reality Um, and like characters who are kind of trapped not just in location but in like a way of thinking um, and eventually have to kind of like get get you know think their way out of that Um, yeah yeah, and also I just love the Tempest. Um, uh huh. It's my yeah. favorite. So, <laughs> yeah. So I think that's if we're talking about our favorite Mrs. Who quote from the book, it would be that one for me. Um, yeah. But from but from the movie, it's the Hamilton quote. <laughs> oh, me too. Yeah. <laughs> Tomorrow there'll be more of us. Yes, I love it. <laughs> well, especially because that quote um, in March for Our Lives, that quote was used in a song. Um, Tomorrow there'll be more of us. It mm-hmm. um, so it takes on that as well and makes I I just I get chills and I love it. Oh my goodness! Yeah, it connects um, it to that. It connects it to that kind of universal struggle of good versus evil. Yeah. You know, the the downtrodden versus the oppressor, like that's yeah. yeah, that universal connection. Yeah. yeah. And I just I also just love Mindy Kaling's delivering uh-huh. of all the lines. Like it's just so serene and like, here you go, here's like a truth sandwich. There you go. Mm-hmm. Just just enjoy. Um <laughs> oh, I love it. Oh Mindy. Oh, Mindy. Mm. We love her. Yeah. (sighs) Listeners, if you are new around here, you might not know. We did an entire bonus episode a couple years ago um, just talking about the life and works of Mindy Kaling. So We love her. (laughs) Go check that out. 
We love her. Um, we love her a lot. Hi, Mindy. Hi, Mindy. If not the if you're watching. Not the point, but she looks gorgeous in this movie. Oh my gosh, I just like, oh, oh man, yeah, yeah, and the, yeah. We the costumes and the makeup and the hair. Oh my in gosh. this movie. Oh my gosh. I'm like, I want to recreate some of these looks, yeah. but I don't even know where to start. Um, That's another anyway. quote that I, I love is when the three Mrs. W's quote, um, when shall we three meet again in the field? Ugh, gives me chills. Love it. Love, love, love. Mm-hmm. Yes. Love it. Yes. Another Shakespeare connection. Uh. <laughs> Well, that's about all we had for this week. Yeah. Um, so we're going to wrap this up. Uh, yeah. You know where... You, hopefully you know where you can find us. We're on Instagram and Twitter. And we mm-hmm. post things there sometimes. Mm-hmm. It, with no, little to no consistency. Um, no. But... It's usually usually entertaining, at least to here, us. Here at Pop DNA, <laughs> we have no time for consistency. I oh, don't no. know what that means. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, uh, join us next time, <laughs> and please be good to each other. It's it's really hard out there, so please please yeah. consider others. Please do. And we'll see you anon. 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 (laughs) Goodbye.